chair of the Planning Commission. Welcome to the Planning Commission meeting. Please remember to turn off your cell phones. The parking validation machine for the garage under City Hall is located at the rear of the chambers at the top of the stairs. Following roll call during summary of hearing procedure, we'll review how the public may provide comment during today's session. At this time, please join me in saluting the flag and the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Uh, we will now go to roll call. Um, myself, Justin Lardenois, I'm here. Vice Chair Onellis Wise. Here. Commissioner Barosio is not present. Commissioner Bickford is not present. Commissioner Cantrell is not present. Commissioner Casey. Here. Commissioner Garcia. Here. Commissioner Oliverio is not present. Commissioner Rosario. Here. Uh, Commissioner Tordillas. Here. And Commissioner Young. Here. So we have seven folks in attendance, so we have quorum. All right, summary of hearing procedures. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you want to address the commission, please fill out a speaker card located on the table near the audiovisual technician and deposit the completed card in the basket. There are also speaker cards on the back of the chambers and at the side entrance. The procedure for this hearing is as follows. After staff's presentation, applicants and or appellants may make up to a five minute presentation. During the public comment period, the chair will call out names on the submitted speaker cards and the order received for those members of the public who attend in person. As your name is called, line up in the front of the microphone at the front of the chamber. For members of the public who attend by teleconference, the meeting technician will connect those persons who desire to speak in the commission so they may be heard. Generally, each speaker will be given up to two minutes for public testimony, and speakers using a translator will have up to four minutes. At the discretion of the chair, the time allotted to each speaker may be changed depending on the number of items on the agenda, number of speakers, and other factors. Speakers using a translator will have double the time allotted. After public testimony, the applicant and or appellant may make closing remarks for up to an additional five minutes. Planning commissioners may ask questions of the speakers and response to commissioner questions will not reduce the speaker's time allowance. The public hearing will then be closed and the public commission will take action on the, sorry, the planning commission will take action on the item. The planning commission may request staff to respond to public testimony, ask staff questions and discuss the item. If you challenge these land use decisions in court, you may be limited to raising only those issues you or someone else raised at this public hearing or in written correspondence delivered to the city at or prior to the public hearing. The Planning Commission's action on rezonings, pre-zonings, general plan amendments, and code amendments is only advisory to the City Council. The City Council will hold public hearings on these items. Section 20.120.400 of the Municipal Code provides the procedures for legal protests to the City Council on rezonings and pre-zonings. The Planning Commission's action on conditional use permits is appealable to the City Council in accordance with Section 20.100.220 of the Municipal Code. Agendas and all staff reports of this meeting may be accessed to the Planning Commission's website. I'd like to note that Commissioner Brosio is now here with us. Um, so we'll have the call to order and orders of the day. Before we begin, I want to remind the Planning Commission and members of the public to follow our code of conduct at meetings. This includes commenting on the specific agenda item only and addressing the full body. Public speakers will not engage in a conversation with the commissioners or staff. All members of the Planning Commission, staff, and the public are expected to refrain from abusive language. Repeated failure to comply with the code of conduct, which will disturb, disrupt, or impede the orderly conduct of this meeting may result in removal from the meeting. This meeting of the Planning Commission will now come to order. Now we'll go into public comment. This is a point in the meeting where we can accept public comments on items that are not on tonight's agenda, but are related to city business. Um, for members of the public who attend in person, please fill out a speaker's card and give it to the technician. For members of the public who join by teleconference, please use the raised hand feature in Zoom or press star nine on your phone to raise a hand to speak. 
Each member of the public may address the commissioner for up to two minutes. The commission cannot take any formal action without the item being properly noticed and placed on an agenda. In response to public comment, the Planning Commission has limited the following options. Responding to statements or questions posed by members of the public, or requesting staff to report back on a matter at a subsequent meeting, or directing staff to place the item on a future agenda. And I see Christian Greco here. You here to speak for public comment, Chris? All right, we'll start with you. There's several of us here that are here to talk about agenda item three, the Olin Hotel project, and uh, we've got plenty of concerns about that. However, we know it's agenda item three, up for deferral to the sixth, and we don't know whether there's gonna be a public speaking period for the hotel during agenda item three, the deferral. So there's some confusion there. Yeah, great. Uh, so just, we can pause Chris's time to clarify that. Um, so yeah, we don't usually take public comment on deferrals, so this is an appropriate time to give comments since that item's technically not on the agenda. Okay, so if any of us want to speak to the hotel, then that would be now. now's the time. Okay, yeah. great. So I'll just continue here. You know, I did send in my assessment of the traffic impact analysis, so that should be in your agenda packet or available for all the commissioners to review. The neighborhood has some serious concerns about this proposed project, particularly as it relates to exceeding the urban village maximum allowances for setback, daylight planing, and uh, you know height. And now with the proposed uh, zero setback, that the developer is seeking, that's completely unacceptable to our neighborhood and it should be for anybody else that lives in the urban village. Now my understanding at looking at this is that it will only impact the Santana Row Valley Fair urban village, his proposed zero setback, right? But if it happens in our urban village, what's to keep it from happening on the Stevens Creek East Urban Village, that spar winds up almost touching, right? So if it's if it's allowed in our urban village, what's going to prevent the Planning Commission or City Council from allowing it to happen in other urban villages and impact other residential neighborhoods seriously? So we have a lot of concerns. We'll be getting those to you in emails and. Thank you, Chris. Go ahead, Daphna. Hello, Commissioners. I'm Daphna Wolf. I'm president of the Winchester Orchard Neighborhood Association. Uh, just so you know where it is, we are an island in the city. We're between Santa Moss and Winchester and 280 and Stevens Creek. We're right across from Santana Row. We are bordered directly on two sides by two urban villages, the Stevens Creek Urban Village and the Winchester Urban Village, as well as being touched by the Santana Row Urban Village. We're a highly active neighborhood association. We had people involved in all of those urban village task forces 
which came up with guidelines for height and setbacks and integration into our neighborhoods. We're highly concerned with the Olin Hotel project as it seeks to set aside all of the hard work that was done by these task forces. I was personally on one for 18 months to set these heights and these setbacks and the integration with the neighborhoods. We want to make sure that those uh, heights and setbacks and the integration is honored as it was written because they in to be honest, the neighborhood gave up a lot with that. We are not a NIMBY neighborhood. Everything's in our backyard. We have multiple high density infill projects surrounding our neighborhood. But I have to say, and I want you to take a look at the Lynn Haven neighborhood project um, on Winchester with the new apartments. Take a look at Santana West and take a look at the Pulte project. They've all used the urban village guidelines in order to build those projects and integrate with the neighborhoods. The Lynn Haven project had to redo their entire project because of the setbacks and the height and the daylight plane. This Olin Hotel seeks to set aside all of that. It's not that we don't agree with the hotel. We would love to have something built there, but we would like it to conform to what the city has asked them to do. We'll be back on December 6th with many people from the neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you, Daphna. Do you have anyone else in the chambers for um, public comment on items not on the agenda? And as I clarified earlier, um, this hotel project is being deferred, so te technically not on the agenda for the purposes of this. Okay, do we have anyone on Zoom for public comment? We do have one speaker, um, Brian Darby. Please unmute your device. Yes, thank you. Um, Good afternoon, or good evening, commissioners. Um, I'm glad I checked in with this. It, I used to live in the urban project, uh, or you know, in the mobile home park, and I can't talk too much about it because we had to sign some stuff. Um, but I feel for these people. Not all developers, but they seem to, you know, they they got the Google um, Village thing, and uh, they've already decided to start cutting down on the housing. There's been a few other projects where they've reversed what they said. And um, even the mayor has said things about it, and it doesn't seem to really mean anything. You know, developers will do what they want to do. Um, uh, and it, I'm, I don't know how to word this. It just seems like a lot of the discussion doesn't happen here. <laughs> and I, I hold that up as if, if I was a developer, a very famous developer here, who's involved in a lot of things, if I pick up the phone and call anybody on the council, I'm not sure about the, um, this particular commission, but Anybody on the council, somebody will answer the phone. It's guaranteed more sure than gravity, and I will get a call back. As a citizen, if I do that, it, it's a hit or miss. And my thing is about 80%, more like 85%, where nobody contacts me back. And if you have to go again and again and again and again and again and again and again, this item gets deferred, then more people are going to show up. We're hoping that people listen to us. I'm convinced in a lot of ways especially where planning development goes, the people who have the money have the say, period. There may be a 1% change, like the, the, the wonderful person that spoke about being on those commissions. I went to a lot of those meetings too, and the neighborhood did give up a lot. And I'm just telling the neighborhood, watch your P's and Q's, because they will take, you give them an inch, they will take a universe. And they want to do away with those setback restrictions to make more money. And that's their job, it's the commission's job to balance that out, thank you. 
Thank you. Staff, does that conclude public comment? Yes, it does. Okay, thank you very much. Um, we will move on to item three, deferrals and removals from calendar. As previously noted, um, the hotel project at 390 Spar Avenue is being dropped to be re-noticed at the December 6th planning commission meeting. Uh, staff, do we have any other deferrals or any commentary on that item? No. Okay. Thank you. Um, then we will move on to the consent calendar. Um, so consent calendar, there's no separate discussion of individual consent calendar items as they're considered to be routine will be adopted by one motion. Motion Remember, to approve the consent calendar. Uh, I, I hear you. We'll just talk about that after I go through the procedure. Um, if a member of the commission requests debate, separate vote or recusal on a particular item, that item may be removed from the consent calendar by the chair and considered separately. The public may comment on the entire consent calendar and any items removed from the consent calendar by the chair. Um, tonight we have two items. There's our mi minutes from the November 8th meeting and then also a continual use permit to allow the continued use of a 51, tall put, 51 foot tall monopole at uh, 3434 Martin Avenue. Um, I am sorry. Uh, I've just been informed by staff that we actually do need to vote on the deferral. My, my bad for skipping over it. So let's go back to item three. Apologies. Um, do we have a motion to approve the deferral of the hotel project to the December 6th meeting? Motion to do so. Second. All right. We have a motion from Commissioner Casey and a second from Commissioner Tordillos. Um, any discussion? All right. We'll go to a vote on that. Uh, Vice Chair Ellis Wise? Yes. Commissioner Barosio? Yes. Commissioner Bickford is absent. Commissioner Cantrell is absent. Commissioner Casey? Yes. Commissioner Garcia? Yes. Commissioner Oliverio? Yes. Commissioner Rosario? Yes. Commissioner Tordillos? Yes. Commissioner Young? Yes. Myself, yes. I believe that's nine yes, zero no, and two absences. Okay. Zero no, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry, I forgot. I didn't notice when Commissioner Alvario joined us, but it's, I have it. All right, great. 6:42. Okay. Um, Three seconds. Thanks. Uh, so returning to the consent calendar, we have on the consent calendar the minutes from the November 8th meeting and the monopole. Um, we have a motion from Commissioner Oliverio and a second from Commissioner Casey to approve the consent calendar. I just want to be clear because I've heard that there's significant public interest in item 7B regarding mobile home parks, which is on the general plan consent calendar, which is a separate section of the agenda. So we can take comment on that when we get to it. But for now, uh, do we have any public comment on the minutes of the monopole? Any on Zoom? No? Okay, I think I see John shaking his head. Okay. Cool. No public comment. Any discussion on the consent calendar? No. All right. We will continue to a vote on Commissioner Oliverio's motion. Vice Chair Ellis Wise. I did want to um, discuss oh. the item just real oh, quick. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I, I don't have the speaking order up. That's my bad. Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, just the only thing was that um, on one of the reports, it showed that there was notice and guideline for workers to be placed 
on site. And all that was in English. And just because we have such a large Latino workforce that speaks Spanish, I, I would like that, if possible, to be also in Spanish as well. There was um, a notice, a caution, and a warning. And I think those were kind of pretty significant. Okay. And I think that they should be translated in Spanish and put on there as well. Sure. Um, so then, um, can we get clarification from staff on that? And then if you feel it's necessary, we could pull it and have a, for a longer discussion. Does that work for you? Sure. Okay, staff, do you have any, um, any response to what the vice chair brought up about, I assume that's about 4B. Mm -hmm. um, and I have some clarification. I think this is on the plan set. Do you know what page it's on so I can take a look real fast? Vice Chair Nelswise, do you know what page it's on that you're referring to? There was a report that was done in regards to safety for the radio frequency. Okay, is it, I'll have to get it up, but I think you're referring to It was one of the attachments. Okay. okay, I'll take a look. Um, in, uh, well, I guess if, if we're asking the applicant, we're probably gonna have to pull it. Um, Chair, point of order. Uh, sure, Commissioner. Right. I mean, the question is, does the city have a policy when we post things that they are always bilingual or trilingual? I think that's the question, right? Uh, I sure know. Why is, would you say that's accurate? That, that's the question. This was specifically like a third party that was supposed to put this sign up there. I hope that it would be bilingual, but right. in the report, it just showed it in English. So I just wanted to make sure that it seems like, like these stickers go on the site. Um, yes, um, Commissioner. So the project site sign, in, it does not, uh, it, it, is, it is in English, but there is a section of the sign that indicates what the project is. And if there are questions about the project, that they can contact um, a specific designated uh, Spanish speaking person in the department if they have questions about it. It's just, a, it's a matter of how much space there is on the sign to provide the main language and then um, information for someone who'd like to know more about what's on the sign to, to the public. Okay, yeah, I just, there was one that was a notice and guideline for workers and I think just because I think that there's so many Spanish speaking uh, yeah, folks in the trays that it should be in Spanish, so. I think you might be talking about two different things because I think, <coughs> you're talking about some kind of safety notice for workers whereas Patrick, I think you were talking about the general project announcement mm -hmm. sign Yes. Yeah, okay, so I found this in, um, it's in the uh, FCC radio frequency report. Um, I don't have an answer. If we need an answer, we have to defer to the applicant. Okay, uh, and Commissioner Young, I think I saw your hand up. Uh, yes, I just, uh, I was addressing the same issue you were. Oh, okay. As okay. regards to confusion, and yeah, I, I believe that, um, in the uh, cell towers I've seen, it's normally whoever operates a cell tower has to put the warning signs in. But I, I agree with Commissioner Ornelas-Wise, it should be in multiple languages, so I'm not sure how to facilitate that through the staff, but I think that would be a good idea. Okay, so Vice Chair Ornelas-Wise, did this, was your concern addressed or do you think we should pull this and have a longer discussion? 
I would just like to see that the owner operator makes sure to put these warning caution signs and especially notice in guidelines for workers to be translated also in Spanish and you know whatever other language you think is appropriate. We'll work with the applicants to do that. Okay, thank you. That should be sufficient for me. Okay. okay. Any further discussion before we go to a vote? I don't see any hands up, so okay. Vice Chair Nellis Wise, I'm uh, sorry, this is the motion to approve the entire consent calendar. Yes. Commissioner Brosio? Yes. Commissioner Bickford is absent, and so is Commissioner Cantrell. Commissioner Casey? Yes. Commissioner Garcia? Yes. Commissioner Oliverio? Yes. Commissioner Rosario? Yes. Commissioner Tordios? Yes. Commissioner Young? Yes. Myself, yes. That is nine yes, zero no, two absences. Okay. We will continue to public hearing. Um, we have one item tonight. Excuse me. Um, this is a large package of uh, general plan amendments. Uh, I'll leave it to staff to characterize it beyond that. Uh, but this is PP 22-002, and I assume we have a presentation. Thank you, Mr. Chair and Commissioners. My name is Martina Davis. I am a division manager with Citywide Planning. I am joined by David Fong, one of our planners on our ordinance team. Uh, David is pulling up and will give the presentation. Uh, before he does, I'll just uh, do kind of a higher level introduction. This is the first of three zoning amendments you'll be hearing tonight that have a relationship with our housing element. Uh, this one, David will talk about the two items of our three item package in this one that um, are housing element related. The other one is uh, prior council direction. Um, so just to uh, let you know that because all three of the ordinances have an overlap of amending chapter 20.195, uh, the part of that chapter that's in this ordinance uh, was, would cover the, covers that farm worker housing. Um, so we're gonna have the commission act on all changes to 20.195 as part of the third ordinance you'll be hearing tonight. Um, so we'll walk you through the recommendation. It's, it's explained on the agenda, um, but I just do wanna let you know if you're looking at our recommended language and you don't see those changes to 20.195 in this agenda item, um, they'll be heard, they'll be considered last, but we will be explaining what they are with this agenda item because they're related to the rest of this item. Sorry, I hope that did not create more confusion. Um, but with that, I will turn it over to David and he'll walk you through the, the three items in this zoning amendment. Thank you. Um, item 5A includes proposed zoning code changes related to 100% deed restricted housing agricultural employee housing and accessory dwelling units. I'm David Fong, project manager on the ordinance team and also present is Martina Davis, division manager. Staff routinely updates the zoning code to incorporate changes to align with new state law mandates and other requirements. The proposed zoning code update will incorporate modifications to conform with current state mandates, comply with housing element requirements and to make the zoning code more consistent with prior general plan amendments. No additional changes are proposed to the code except to align the code with these requirements. This item pr proposes to implement specific changes related to 100% deed restricted housing, agricultural employee housing, and accessory dwelling units. Staff would like to note additional clarifying revisions to the draft ordinance on pages 102 through 104. The proposed changes are to reorganize and reformat existing text with no changes to the content. 
The proposed changes regarding 100% deed restricted housing is to ensure the code is consistent with a previously approved general plan amendment approved in December 2022. Those changes will be incorporated in certain zoning code sections based on city council's earlier direction to remove commercial requirements intended to create a mixed use development that will no longer apply to 100% deed restricted affordable housing citywide. This change was proposed because there were previously financing challenges and it would not allow or it would now allow for better utilization of the density bonus. The proposed changes to our agriculture employee housing code are to comply with Employee Housing Act and the Farm Worker Housing Act. Specifically, six or fewer employees will be permitted in the same manner as any single family dwelling. Agricultural employee housing of less than 36 beds or 12 units would be deemed an agricultural use. Code changes will allow for streamlined ministerial approval for agricultural employee housing. The proposed changes would also allow us to conform to the housing element requirements. Next, we have changes to our ADU code. This update does not propose additional changes to residential units except for updates to better align with current state law provisions. This update is reflective of new state law mandates and will modify ADU regulations and incorporate clarifying revisions. It will repeal certain sections of part 2.5 chapter 20.30 and relocate those ADU regulations to part 2.75 section 20.80 of title 20 under the specific uses category. Staff made last minute changes to the second section for reformatting purposes and, to better, uh, and for better reading clarity. We are providing reformatting and presenting our code much closer to how the state presents their code, basically providing two clear code sections or paths for development. Our first section follows state code section 65852.2C, which has more development standard requirements but allows for larger ADUs. The second section follows state code section 65852.2 subsection E, which has very minimal development standard requirements, but has the provision to allow a minimum 800 square foot ADU in most circumstances. A 45 foot front setback requirement will no longer be required for detached ADUs, provided it still meets the setback requirements of the zoning district. San Jose follows state code more closely, specifically subsection E, which will allow a total of three ADUs on one lot. This includes one brand new ADU, which can be attached or detached, one detached ADU, which is an ADU converted from an existing structure, such as a detached garage or barn, and one junior ADU. The maximum height allowed for ADUs will increase one foot. The limitations on maximum number of bedrooms and bedroom area, maximum number of bathrooms, maximum storage area restrictions have all been removed as long as they comply with the building code requirements. The City Council eliminated parking requirements in December of 2022. This section was effective in April of this year and will remove any prior references in the ADU section. You do not need to provide or replace any covered parking that has been removed as a result of a new ADU. There are no window or balcony placing restrictions for the second story ADU. This allows more flexibility to build and ease of placing a legal bedroom on the second floor. As part of seek requirements, staff prepared a determination of consistency to analyze changes in the proposed amendment discussed here. Uh, no new significant impacts beyond those already identified in the general plan and supplemental EIRs will result. No specific development proposal is part of this amendment to title, title 20. 
Uh, the next step in this process is we have city council hearings scheduled on December 5th, 2023. If approved, the proposed changes will be effective by end of January. You can follow planning webpage or for additional updates on these items. This is the end of staff's presentation. Thank you, planning commissioners, for your consideration. Thank you, Martina and David. Um, let's see. All right, I uh, just want to clarify, I misspoke earlier. These are not general plan amendments. These are municipal code amendments. That's my bad. Uh, do we have any public comment for this item? I take it we don't okay all right uh, we'll go to the Commission um, any discussion on this item Commissioner Oliverio thank you chair uh, so staff on item a the elimination of commercial space uh, in a commercial zone where uh, planners have historically wanted that continuity of commercial because that's what uh, was uh, envisioned. Um, this is just simply us bending to the fact, uh, fact of, how do I say this, that uh, this is valued more than the actual historical commercial business district. Is that a fair analogy? Because if we valued it, we wouldn't eliminate it. Sort of a trick. I mean, I guess is the question, are we valuing 100% affordable housing over commercial space? I would say fair, yeah. I think that, that is fair. That, that is reflective of the decision that council made last year. Um, I'll just know a part of it is that under the, so this is areas where we allow the housing. Um, if they provide affordable housing under the density bonus, they can uh, use a concession to remove that commercial space requirement. And we were finding that was happening regularly. So from that standpoint, it's also kind of a, you know, effectively, we didn't really have that requirement due to the density bonus anyway, so I, I will note that as well. Okay, thanks. I, I just know that the planners at heart probably love Jane Jacobs, and this kind of goes against that whole philosophy, so I just wanted to note that. Thank you. And I guess I'll also note, um, it's, as said in the staff report, and as Martina implied, this is formalizing a decision that was made by the council a year ago um, regarding uh, commercial requirements for affordable housing. Any further discussion on this item? Okay, if not, do we have a motion? I motion to approve. Second. All right, we have a motion to approve from Vice Chair Nellis Wise and a second from Commissioner Rosario. Any further discussion? And if not, we'll go to a vote. Oh, Commissioner Barosio. Thank you. Um, good evening, everyone. Uh, question, a year ago the City Council approved this, how did they, um, did the discussion of doing that transition from commercial to affordable housing, allowing that, did they talk about any? Did they talk about any um, discussion around the job housing imbalance, right? Obviously we're trying to get more more jobs, right, so we could bring in more revenue, so we can support the people living here. Did they tackle that when they decided to do this? Michael, are you able to, are were you there for this one last year? 
I was. I'm sorry, I'm taking notes. What was the question? So, yeah, no, no worries. It always, you know, tech is tricky. Um, when they approve this, do they have a discussion around um, the job and housing imbalance, right? Obviously, if the commercial is going to give way to affordable housing, which is great, how did they negotiate that with the need of more jobs in the city? Yeah, yeah, I mean, they didn't. And I would say, I mean, for the most part, these requirements for commercial are not about um, requiring significant amount of commercial space in an affordable project. It was mainly requirements that would have the ground floor be, you know, commercial businesses. There could there could have been cases where there was more than that. There might have been another floor of commercial requirement. I'm not saying that's impossible, but generally it was just kind of you know the typical ground floor commercial space with. Uh, residential above and behind so that was so they didn't really talk about that um, the there was really uh, interest well the reason they got rid of it is that in the discussions in the four-year review and at council a lot of affordable housing developers came and spoke and said how um, it's really hard to finance and build the affordable apparently in the past affordable housing developer when they got financing the financing could pay and finance the commercial space, and from what we were told, that is no longer the case. So while they can get money, um, tax credits, and other sources of funding for the um, the residential, it's much harder to find financing for the commercial piece. So it's made it really hard, and the council was sympathetic to that, and it's we're in a housing crisis, and they wanted to facilitate affordable housing, and they got rid of that. And, and as Martina said, the state law has effectively made that uh, effectively um, got rid of that requirement anyway. So what they were doing was essentially reflecting state law. Thank you. Yeah, and to be clear, this is not about um, converting solely commercially designated land for housing development. This is for mixed use designation, allowing affordable housing to be exempt from commercial requirements, correct? Um, yeah, that, that is correct. I mean, you can layer on other recent state laws um, that make it more complicated, but that is correct. This is where we have policies that allow affordable housing to go forward in certain locations and um, where there could be commercial requirements or there were commercial requirements that are no longer in the general plan. And now this, this is just aligning with that right. direction. But to be clear, this is not going to facilitate, you know, land that's designated solely for commercial use being converted. That's now. correct. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Uh, Commissioner Oliverio. Michael. Uh, I just want to say, though, when we discussed the housing element update, and I gave you an example of Lincoln Avenue that has a commercial business district under the housing element and this, you could remove 100% commercial building and put 100% affordable, and there is, you can do that right so what you're saying is contrary to what we had that discussion months ago well right so um, well so a couple things on in neighborhood business district one the council did approve allowing housing under certain circumstances in um, in neighborhood business districts those zoning changes have not come to you yet that this is the exa another example of where council made that change, but for various reasons, we haven't completed the zoning ordinances. Those will be coming next year. Um, but 
in that situation, if someone's proposing an affordable housing, I can't remember what they all, I, I believe there are cases where we require mixed use in that general plan um, amendment that was done and direction we got from council, but it wouldn't apply to an affordable housing development. So affordable housing development wants to go on Lincoln Avenue and they don't want to put commercial on a site that otherwise might be required to have ground floor commercial per council direction and the general plan and now the proposed zoning ordinance, they would not have to do that. Right, so they would be able to convert existing commercial retail space if they were building. Yeah, I guess in that case, in that in that case, they they could. But again, That's, it's where the general plan allows it to happen. It's not it's not a commercial site where the general plan says you can't do housing. Well, they can convert it. Thank you. Yeah. Any further? Any further discussion? And I believe we did. We have a motion. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> right, uh, Commissioner. Vice Chair Ronelis Wise had a motion and Commissioner Rosario seconded it. If there's no further discussion, we'll go to a vote. Vice Chair Ronelis Wise? Yes. Commissioner Barosio? Yes. Commissioner Bickford and Cantrell are absent. Commissioner Casey? Yes. Commissioner Garcia? Yes. Commissioner Oliverio? Yes. Commissioner Rosario? Yes. Commissioner Tordillos? Yes. Commissioner Young? Yes. Myself, yes. It's nine yes, zero no, and two absences um all right uh we will go on to item six uh we will continue the general plan hearing for 2023 cycle four from the november 8th meeting so now we'll go on to the general plan consent calendar uh, we have two items tonight um, one is gp 22-004 c22-015 and er 23-055 which is rezone or changing the zoning and general plan land use designation for a property at the northeast corner of Doyle Road and Lawrence Expressway. We also have GP 23-006, which is a city init initiated general plan amendment to change the land use designation for 13 mobile home parks from their current designation to the mobile home park designation. Um, do we have, well, I have at least one speaker card for public comment. Um, I have. Karen Peters, yeah, if you could come to the podium and you have two minutes to speak. And uh, to be clear, um, if you wanna speak on either of those items, the rezoning at Doyle and Lawrence or the mobile home rezonings, this would be the time to speak. Um, point of order, please. Commissioner Young. So I, I would like to pull um, item, uh, item B on the mobile home parks only because I think there's a good amount of confusion amongst the public of what, what our intent is here. Um, so I'm not sure if we wanna do that before the public comment or not. That's the only reason I was saying. Um, I mean, if you want to pull it, that's up to you, so. Yes, I'd like to pull it. Okay. Um, all right then, uh, so we're pulling Item 7B, um, I'm sorry, Karen. Uh, we'll, we'll consider item A, the Doyle and Lawrence, and then we'll return to this item and then take public comment. My apologies. We'll, we'll call you up um, in a moment. Later? Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, so do we have a motion to approve um, 
item 7a the Doyle and Lawrence property motion to approve second we have a motion from Commissioner Tordillos and a second from Commissioner Rosario um, let's go ahead and vote if there's no further discussion vice chair Ernest wise yes Commissioner Brosio yes Commissioners Bickford and Cantrell are absent Commissioner Casey yes Commissioner Garcia yes Commissioner Oliverio yes Commissioner Rosario yes Commissioner Tordillos yes Commissioner Young yes and myself yes that is nine yes zero no and two absences um, all right do we have a staff presentation on item 7b thank you I have an oral presentation sure so you ready? I didn't oh, yeah. Okay. Go right ahead. <laughs> my, my apologies. Uh, thank you, Chair and Commissioners. My name is Justin Daniels, Supervising Planner for our Citywide Team, and I'm the Project Manager for this General Plan event, file number GP23006. The City of San Jose has 58 mobile home parks with approximately 10,836 mobile homes that house approximately 35,000 residents, which is the largest number of mobile homes and households in California. Mobile home parks in San Jose vary in size, age, location, and type of mobile homes and composition of residents. The mobile home parks in San Jose also vary in terms of their general plan land use designations. Some mobile home parks are located in areas predominantly surrounded by industrial uses, and others are located in areas with residential land use designations. Since 2015, the city has undertaken several substantial actions to preserve mobile home parks including the adoption of zoning ordinance changes, which made City Council as the initial decision-making body for any proposal to convert a mobile home park and exempting parcels with mobile home parks from being eligible for a streamlined rezoning process. General plan text amendments, which add enhanced goals, policies, and actions to protect existing mobile home parks with the adoption of City Council Policy 6-33, titled Conversion of Mobile Home Parks to Other Uses, as a guide to help guide the implementation of the city's existing conversion ordinance in a temporary moratorium on conversions and closure. In May 2017, City Council directed staff to return to Council with an analysis of general plan amendments for mobile home park sites to either a commercial, industrial, industrial park, or proposed mobile home park land use designation for those sites that currently have a residential designation. In March 2018, staff presented to City Council with analysis of the proposed general plan land use amendments for mobile home parks and the associated staffing requirement for moving these amendments forward. This analysis looked at all mobile home parks and their associated general plan land use designations. City initiated, city initiated general plan amendments to change the land use designations of mobile home parks would not directly prohibit a mobile home park owner from closing their park but would create an additional transparent public land use entitlement process to develop these sites. Balancing the previous actions taken since 2015 to protect our current mobile home parks, the staffing resources required to undertake amendments for all mobile home parks, staff recommended that the council consider general plan amendments for two mobile home parks with land use designations that allowed for high density housing. In spring 2019, following prioritization of the work by the City Council through the City's previous priority setting process, staff initiated work to create the new mobile home park general land use designation and plan to complete the general plan amendments for the two mobile home parks that allowed high density housing by June 2020. On March 10, 2020, the City Council approved the creation of a new general plan land use designation entitled Mobile Home Park 
and applied it to 625 Hillsdale Ave, which is the Mountain Spring Mobile Home Park community, and to 500 Nicholson Lane, which is the West Wind Mobile Home Park community. City Council issued a memo on October 14, 2022, for staff to return to council with a detailed multi-year and timeline to complete the general plan land use designations work for the 56 mobile home parks that need a general plan amendment, including returning through the mid-year budget review with resources needed to complete land use designations this fiscal year for the 13 most at-risk parks identified, and returning through the budget process with resources needed to redesignate the remaining parks in the city. Council also directed staff to streamline the public outreach process for this land use designation work, recognizing that this work that our mobile home residents had been aware of and actively fighting for since 2015. Staff will be changing the general plan land use designation on the remaining 44 mobile home parks in spring 2024. Therefore, all mobile home parks will have the mobile home park general plan land use designation once this project is complete. The 13 most at-risk mobile home parks re for redevelopment that are proposed to have their general plan change to the mobile home park general plan land use designation are included in the staff report. The request we have before you consider the termination of consistency with the Vision 24 general plan, adopt a resolution amending the Vision 24 general plan land use designation for 12 mobile home parks from the residential neighborhood general plan land use designation to the mobile home park general plan land use designation and change one mobile home park from the neighborhood community commercial general plan land use designation to the mobile home park general plan land use designation. Staff recommends that the planning commission recommend, recommend approval of the general plan amendment. This includes staff's presentation. Thank you, Justin. Um, we'll go to public comment now. Uh, Karen, you can return to the podium. Apologies for the interruption there. It's on. Uh, yeah. Hi, my name is Karen Peters. I live in one of the mobile home parks. It's uh, uh, Caribbean's at uh, 411 Lewis Road. And um, so my actually question is, uh, how quick is that process? Um, you know that uh, the mobile home parks will be removed, or and uh, in the in the plan 2040. Uh, I read uh, that they have to relocate 35,000 people, so I don't know how they want to do that. And um, and I don't know how real the number is in that uh, plan, because the plan exists a while, and uh, we know that, um, you know, a lot of people there in the mobile home park living, uh, there are multiple people in, in that mobile homes, so most of the time, the, um, uh, the number is not real. So I think it's much more as 35,000 people to relocate. And then my question is where you want to relocate them. Okay. I mean, um, I saw um, that stuck, uh, you know, um, at, at uh, Brian and um, uh, Branham and uh, Monterey Road, they stuck that, um, uh, you know, apartments on top of each other. I mean, um, you know, there's no space for greenery in there, no streets, no nothing. So I don't know. I mean, I would not live there. <laughs> I mean, it looks ugly from uh, if you see it. And then uh, the other thing I want to mention 
it's uh, on Monterey Road uh, by Chateau La Salle. There was uh, uh, built a, a, a big combo, uh, condo complex. And um, uh, so actually, um, you know, because of the little villages they want to build, so um, that condo complex has a retail. Actually, you know, there should be retail in, but that. Uh, I'm sorry, I think that concludes your two minutes. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, thank you for okay, your comment. Thank you. And, and just to clarify, um, the city's intent here is to preserve mobile homes as they currently are. Um, just want to address that. Uh, we have further public comment on this item. Oh, card. Okay. Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, thank you. Good evening. My name is Edward McDonald. I'm the attorney for the Caribbean Mobile Home Park. Um, one of our residents was here. Um, and they're the owners are actually the Caribbean Investors Limited. Um, we object, and I'm here to place objection to this change to the Planning Commission. Uh, there is no need or rationale for it. There's no reason for choosing 13 mobile home parks to begin with, with this change. And this is not a single change. Uh, and, and, I, and I just want to make sure the Commission is aware that this is part of a three-part process that is strangling the mobile home park owners in this city. There's rent stabilization already that has been here for many years. Everyone's working through that, but it, it does restrict the ability to receive income for the property owners. There now is a conversion ordinance for the city of San Jose, which in my view is onerous, but it is in place and it is there that prevents the wholesale conversion of mobile home parks in the city of San Jose. And now what is being proposed is a change to the uh, zoning ordinance, which will be the third nail in the coffin on mobile home parks in the city. Um, there's no justification for it. It is gonna make the mobile home park ownership and process of management to be an, an uneconomical um, problem that will not work, and it will be an unconstitutional taking, in my view. Uh, I, I, I believe that the, city, the city's rationale for it, uh, at, and at parts, they, they're transparent and say they're doing this to protect mobile home, home owners, and then they use the guise of using the consistency plan. There's nothing about change the consistency of the zoning ordinance here for my client's property, which is residential and I believe mixed a little commercial, to change it now to be mobile home only. This is an actual change in the classification, which is not required under the consistency ordinance, and it is being done to... Thank you. That concludes the time for your public comment. I would just caution the commission to look at all the issues, so I thank you for your time. Thank you. Do we have anyone else in the chambers for public comment on this item? And if not, we'll go to public comment on Zoom. Do we have any public comment on Zoom on this item? Yes, um, Martha, right. please unmute your device. Okay, go ahead, Martha. Okay, Martha O'Connell, Golden State Manufactured Homeowners Association, representing thousands and thousands of mobile home residents. The mobile home residents have been waiting for this action for over eight years. Not only is this action recognized as necessary 
by the city council, but the state of California put in writing on December 15th of 2022, this letter came from the HCD Proactive Housing Accountability Chief, Melissa Coy. She wrote, given the importance of this housing type in addressing a variety of housing needs and its impacts on potentially displaced residents, implementation of program R6 should be revised to occur earlier in the planning period than 2026. And program R6 is the redesignation of all the parks to, to, mobile, home, uh, to mobile home. So the state of California put the city on notice that not only should they do it, but they should speed up the process. So thank you very much to the council and to the mayor who promised that he was gonna get this done. And I hope in all sincerity that this vote is unanimous tonight and that you maintain one of the last bastions of affordable housing in the city of San Jose. Thank you. Thank you, Martha. Do we have anyone else on Zoom for public comment? Yes, we have uh, four more people. Mike, you are unmuted. Please unmute your device. Yes, <clears throat> as a resident of San Jose my whole life, I've retired in Quail Hollow Mobile Home Park. And I wanna say thank you for your efforts to keep this land for seniors. And as a footnote, we do need more affordable mobile homes for seniors, not less, as San Jose continues to grow. I appreciate you listening. Thank you, Mike. Glenna, please unmute your device. Hello, my name is Glenna Howcroft. I'm uh, a GSMOL chapter president at Pepper Tree Estates. And although my park is not on this current list, um, we have been working on trying to get the mobile home parks redesignated for over eight years, and uh, it's been an exhausting effort. We have written up, we've signed petitions, we've written letters, we've spoken at City Hall. Um, the, the stress of not having the stability of, you don't know what, if, if your, your home's gonna be there or if it's gonna be going under for some reason uh, for development, it, we need we need to have this redesignation. Currently, my, as far as I know, my mobile home park is still designated as light industrial. Um, so, and it, that doesn't give me any comfort at all. It really doesn't. And there's a few people in my park that feel the same way. Um, so it's it's uh, like I say, we're weary. We're hoping that uh, the mobile home parks will be given the designation without any further delay. Um, we have, my park is a uh, family park, but we have uh, disabled seniors. We have senior, you know, seniors that are in fairly good health. We have disabled people here, uh, veterans, um, a lot of people. And uh, if this thing does not go through, and hopefully it'll go through before 2025, I don't know what list we'll be on, but hopefully it will come to a a conclusion soon, I hope, 
because like I say, we're weary. We're tired. We're tired of all of this. Eight years is too much. We're going on nine. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping for something better. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Georgia, please unmute your device. Hi, I'm Georgia King. I live in Quail Hollow also. And I've been going to meetings at, with petitions. Uh, it's been almost eight years now. And it's very stressful to live in an area that, that we're not sure of. I know that. Um, anyway, there's a lot of people that I'm representing here at the park. Uh, to please make it into a mobile home park designation. Uh, this is this has been a stressful time. Uh, I moved down here to be next to my children. I can't afford to uh, a million dollars for a home here. This is this is what I can afford to do. I do not want to live with my children because my girls grandchildren are really loud. So I'd appreciate your thoughtfulness. Thank you. Thank you, Georgia. Do we have anyone else for public comment? Yes, uh, Jordan, please okay. unmute your device. Thank you. My name is Jordan Wabe. I'm in the Oak Park on the First Street. I'm a tech worker, and I was lucky enough to get into the mobile homes. The, the vote to extend the protection is badly needed. I think the value of protecting 35,000 San Jose citizens, many of them work, bring tax and value to the to, to, to the city, far outlay, outweighs the ownership of one park or two. Our park has been sold, and the new owner is very profitable and has actually improved the state of the park. Uh, this is the last uh, bastion for limited income individuals, whether they are retired or otherwise. And we look to the Planning Commission and to the Council to protect the people of San Jose, including the 35 plus thousand that are part of this very thriving, very good, very peaceful community. Thank you, Jordan. Brian Darby. Thank you, ma'am, appreciate that. And I, I'd like to talk to another aspect of this. And I know, um, that it basically doesn't matter because if you're not super wealthy or powerful, having emotions is irrelevant. And in anything that has to do with money, um, emotions are definitely irrelevant. I mean, they don't even register. Um, in my personal experience, I've watched um, people in the park I was in, and this is nothing against the developer because the owners have a right to do what they do. And you stay within law and it's actually, you know, we got a fair deal, but the emotional aspect uh, for the many years that the, the park people wanted to keep their park for the same reason as many of those other fine people said, watching them not know, you know, going from I have a place to live till I die because you don't know what you're going to have. Um, and watching the fear and the terror and the stress go on and on and on and on and on, go to meeting after meeting after meeting, often being mocked, laughed at, at first, it got easier later. But you didn't get the, you know, the first times you get the yawns and the eye rolls and the people walk away and it's like, there's an emotional aspect of this. And we're people, you know, we're human beings. And and that doesn't even enter the list, it seems like. Um, I'm being a little bit, you know, dramatic, but trying to make a point. So look, I felt 
I was a younger person, um, and I was so, I hate to say this, but my mother passed before this started. I knew it was coming down the pike. I started talking to her about it, you know, like 2009, because the money there, and money's almost God in a lot of ways. It really is. Um, and, and you just see that play out. The last seven years have really shown us that. And I think that should be important to stress, too. Because at first, we're people. And I can tell you the emotional pain of a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Carl, please okay. mute your device. Carl Brannon. Good evening. This is Carl Brannon at Quail Hollow. We moved in seven years ago. At that time, we were assured there was going to be a an imminent vote to can establish mobile home park general plan land use. And as you can tell, we have lived under the torpor of not knowing when, where, how such a land use would come about. We are very pleased that the state is saying that this needs to take place. And we're very grateful to people like Martha O'Connell who have worked so fervently to try to get the message through that you are just about psychologically killing people off with this delay. As, and it's become even more apparent that it is a delay that it doesn't achieve much when you look in the Mercury News day in and day out and find significant pieces of industrial or business property that are no longer in use and can be readily converted. We ask for your consideration in establishing the mobile home park general plan land use as quickly as possible. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you, Carl. Ken? Dan, please unmute your device. The clock says three seconds, Bob. Okay, this is Dan Lewis. This is Dan Lewis and Quail Hollow. I think I want to just say what I feel is years ago, this, this having mobile home parks when there was a lot of land available, I believe having a, being able to rent the land out for a mobile home park was great for the owners. And I believe it's been great revenue generator for 48 years from our park of 1975. At that point, there wasn't a lot of housing issues. And at that time, it was totally different. But collecting money for 48 years, now there is a housing problem. So time is different. The life for where you live is different. We have to take care and provide housing that we haven't had before. We need to think about projection of moving or displacing maybe 35,000 people. The, we have to think about the projection of the number of people that will become homeless. That homeless cost will be to the city not to the developer or anyone else, to the city and the impact to the people that become homeless. 
I think the key is the, the balance of the developer benefits and the owners and profit versus the city benefits and costs. The issue is it was a good opportunity for the landowners back then. They reaped a lot of money over 48 years in, in our particular case. At the time, having a mobile park probably was a great use of their land to generate money and not having to produce anything on it. Today, it's a totally different world. And I think it's something that we need to protect the people that are there. The housing issue is different. And it, in the past, it would have been, you open another park, people would move to another park. There is no land. There's no place for people to move. And there will be homeless people. It'll cost millions of dollars to our city to not house those people. Also, I have a lot of people that come to work at my mobile home that envy the fact that we can live here instead of wish he could find something like we have, and he can't. So uh, there's generations that will need this land, these, this housing. Thank you. Jill Borders. Hi, thank you. My name is Jill Borders, and I live in the Imperial Mobile Home Estates in San Jose and District 10. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, sorry. Um, yes, yeah, so Jill Borders, I'm in uh, Imperial Mobile Home Estates in District 10, and I just want to say something. Um, I have, you know, I have four file boxes full of files <laughs> since 2015 when the city called me and said, hey, will you be part of a focus group to talk about displacing of mobile homes? Um, and it just threw me into the most serious stress-filled depression because we had just purchased after saving all our money for a down payment eventually to buy something in San Jose. I was born and raised here, born at San Jose Hospital. Op absolutely no chance to buy anything. And when we were displaced after six moves, six different moves from rate hikes, rent hikes, uh, we had a decision to make. We were going to either move to Utah or we, we were going to stay here and buy a mobile home. One of the two choices. Uh, we couldn't, we just could not handle another rental situation where the following year the rent went up high again. It was just, we couldn't do it. And so we made one of the best decisions of our life, and that was to stabilize our daughter's life. Moved here in 2013, and for 10 years, I have been able to be a present parent and raise my daughter. And that, ha without having to tell her again, we needed to move. That has meant everything to me. And I have continued to go to all of these meetings, continued to follow this. And yes, we need a land use designation that says people matter, families matter. Those that are willing to stay and make a stake here in San Jose to make it better. We have home ownership opportunities for you too. And right now, the only home ownership opportunities in San Jose for people like us in our income bracket are mobile homes. And I have, I have feel so lucky. I'm so grateful to our park owner and um, please continue to proceed by passing this tonight and um, do what has needed to be done for eight years. Thank you. Thank you. Debbie? Hi, this is Debbie. Uh, we need senior housing in San Jose. Please change the land use designation for Quail Hollow so I can keep my home. I would really appreciate your help. Thank you. Thank you. Jim. Hello, this is Joan McKay from Quail Hollow. And I um, echo all the sentiments of the previous callers. I won't repeat everything. 
But I just have one more comment to add, and that is take into consideration when you're um, looking at this item that the, sen the seniors that live in these mobile home parks, myself included, are the people who actually have worked in this community, San Jose, uh, Santa Clara County, and built it to what it is today. So this is our way of continuing to live in the community that we have helped form. So I appreciate your consideration, and eight years is a very long time to wait for this to change. And I hope that you will unanimously approve this tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. That concludes our speakers. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, we'll go to the commission. I see Commissioner Young. Yes, thank you, Chair. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank um, the folks here and all the folks that called in on Zoom. Um, we very much value your input. Um, Mr. Daniels, thanks for your presentation. I'd like to start just by saying, um, or asking, I guess, I know when I came on the Planning Commission, it was difficult even for me to understand sometimes the intent. Um, so I wonder if you could just, in as few words as possible, just talk about what is the intent of these changes? Yes, <coughs> excuse me. The intent is to preserve our mobile home parks by changing the land use designations to mobile home parks. Um, currently, most of the mobile home parks have industrial um, general plan designations, commercial general plan designations, and city council directed us to come up with the mobile home park general plan designation to align it with what the use is actually there. Great, and that's really helpful. I, the, the reason I ask is because we, we received some emails and other comments, and I think some folks felt that this might make it actually easier to convert a mobile home park, and I, I just wanted to kind of confirm for those here and those on Zoom that the intent of the council and um, the staff is to try to preserve mobile home parks as much as possible in the city, correct? That's correct. Okay, great, thanks. And just a comment I would make is uh, my wife and I uh, started out in a mobile home. That was the first uh, home we could purchase. And um, as some people talked about, um, it's a great um, entry level for folks to get into um, housing ownership because you do own the, you own the mobile home and you rent the space from the uh, park owner. So I think it's really important that we preserve our mobile homes. I'm really actually proud of how many mobile home parks we have in the city. Um, and uh, you know, with the, with the uh, housing crisis that we have and the affordability crisis that we have, I think it's really important that we, uh, um, that we preserve our mobile home parks as much as we can. So I'd like to thank the staff for the work on this and I, I'll definitely be, uh, in fact, I'm gonna go ahead and make a motion that we approve the staff recommendation. Do we have a second for Commissioner Young's motion? I second. Second from Vice Chair Nellis Wise. Commissioner Rosario, I see your hand up. Sure, I was just gonna thank all the callers that called in tonight. I think Dan, I think the, the woman who was deciding whether or not she had to move to Utah and leave her family or the town she grew up in, I can really relate to that. I actually lived next to Chateau LaSalle uh, in those condos and with a very funky building that's designated for commercial use with nowhere to park. It's odd. Um, but I, I remember also my sister trying to move into Chateau LaSalle and those mobile homes still get up to half a million dollars. And I think I remember reading a 
the time is one of the only mobile home parks in the country where the value of your prefab house will actually increase um, is here in San Jose. And so I, I strongly support the motion. Commissioner Brosio. Perfect, thank you. Yes, um, I would also like to thank everyone who's, who's called in um, and shared their experience. Um, a quick question around, one of the callers said that they are from a mobile home park, but they're not included in the 12 that we're talking about today. Um, how were these 12 selected and is there a plan just to make a blanket um, amendment or change where all mobile home parks are included in this or is it happening in stages and if so, what's the thinking behind that? Sure, um, we will, our goal is to complete all the mobile home general plan amendments for the remaining uh, mobile home parks um, in spring of 2024. Um, we will have to, uh, because of noticing how much notices goes out for these and the staffing, we do have to break them up um, in batches um, to achieve, you know, the, um, the deadline that we have. Um, so yes, eventually they will all have the mobile home general plan designation coming before you. Um, and these were chosen. Um, we had some funding by council and it was minimal and um, they were like, see, which ones are most at risk for development with the funds that we have, and we picked the 13 that, with our analysis, were the most at risk for development. So that's how the 13 came about. Just a clarifying question. Um, how many more are left between now and spring 2024? We have 58 mobile home parks. Two have previously had a general plan change amendment back in 2019. So that's 56, we did, we're doing 13 now. So then that's 40, sorry, 43, 44 mobile home parks by spring 2024. So right now it's the first 13, but as we're doing this, we can do more in a batch than just the 13. So we're still analyzing which ones we're gonna do now and how we're gonna do that. Um, but they're being bigger batches instead of like 13, maybe we have 20 next time and then 24 next time. Okay, and just to um, address um, the concern of the owners of the mobile parks, like the, um, like the gentleman that came to speak before us, um, representing one of the property owners, thank you. Um, once they become a mobile designation, mobile park designation, what would it take for it to flip and for the land to be developed? Would it, would it take a vote from the residents? Would it take an appeal from, from the property owners? Like what would it take to reverse this? Yeah, so we are proposing to change it, the general plan to mobile home park general plan designation. So if it's approved, it will have that designation. The property owner can submit a general plan amendment to change it to another designation if they wish to develop that. Um, however, we do have policies in place for mobile home conversions um, and as well the um, general plan amendment to change it from mobile home park would have to go to city council um, because they are the decision-making body for that. So um, it's just another layer of protection on that, but it doesn't mean that the property owner can't propose to do something different. Okay. And in the history of San Jose, um, has that happened? Has, has a 
Um, has there been a mobile park designation and has that ever been flipped? The mobile home park designation was just created, so we only have two properties, uh, two mobile home parks out there that have that general plan designation. Okay. Um, so no, we haven't experienced um, a yeah. property owner changing it from mobile home park to another general plan designation. Yeah, so over the last five, six, six years or so, the council's done a number of steps to add further protections to house uh, mobile home parks. The reason for that is because of the Winchester mobile home park, which, are you familiar with the Winchester mobile home park? No. Okay, so the Winchester mobile home park was a very, very deluxe mobile home park for seniors that was across the street from Santana Row and the Winchester Mystery House. It was from the early 70s. Uh, it looked like uh, Frontier Village for some of you that go back to San Jose history. Um, and uh, the, the family, it was actually, the family decided to close it and sell it to developer. And so it was because of that initial announcement that they were planning to close it that all of this work started. Um, and that's why we are here today. And so that park did close. It's now a combination of, I think like three-story condos and then higher density, six, seven-story buildings. There was an arrangement that was made um, with the existing owners to either buy them out or to say they could live on site with the existing rents that they have um, and be relocated <coughs> into the units that are being built. So there was arrangements that were made as part of that process. Um, and uh, so that, that, yeah, that, that's the first, I think, only mobile home park that has closed in San Jose. I see, perfect. Thank you for the clarity. Vice Chair Nellis Wise. I just have a quick land use question in regards to someone proposing a new mobile home park. Would then, it, because obviously these are designated, would someone else have to fall under this or would it still be allowed under other general plan or zoning designations to build a new mobile home park correct they would have to have the zoning and general plan designation of mobile home park so my concern is that if someone else wants to come in and do a mobile home park would they be able it looks like all of these are designated to the 53 currently but if someone wanted to propose a new park then are you going to designate some other land as part of this process, we're not designating any land. Um, if a property owner chooses to want to build a mobile home park, it's, more than, it's not gonna be a, a general plan of mobile home park because these are existing ones. They would have to change a general plan to mobile home park okay. and a rezoning to mobile home park to do a, mobile home, a new mobile home park within the city. Just as long as someone else, I just wanna make sure that someone yeah, else can propose one if they if choose to. If a property to. owner wants to propose, yes, they Correct. would have to go through the general plan of amendment process okay. and um, rezoning. All right, thanks. Commissioner Oliverio. Thank you, Chair. So um, the city does have a conversion policy. If you did want to convert a mobile home, that you'd have to provide various levels of compensation to the existing residents, which happened at Winchester when they converted 111 units to 687. Um, but is it really the intent of staff and council that there should be that should never happen again and we're putting these things in place to restrict any and all changes that could ever be proposed even if they compensated and all the things that were done at winchester 
Yes, it's another added layer of protection for our mobile home park residents. Um, it's not to say that the owners can't, you know, come up with a project and, you know, present it to us, but the intent is to preserve these mobile home parks as is for current residents and future residents. And then that this, uh, this uh, would just make that much harder, right? That person would have to go through a lot of hoops Correct. To, to try to redevelop the property, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, to be frank, I don't know that adding a general plan amendment to this process makes it a lot harder. The process is already challenging. There's a lot of hoops you have to go through. Uh, it's a discretionary decision by council, so I think um, it could happen again, and if it were to happen again, I would expect it would probably fall under the model of what happened at Winchester Ranch. But, give, but it's very clear council has made a statement that they intend, and the general plan does, that we intend to preserve these, but it's not to say that someone couldn't propose something and it could go through the process in the future. Right. And then, uh, and, and, and there's a reason, I'm assuming, that no one has built a new mobile home park in decades. What would you say that is? Land, that's my opinion. <laughs> and it's not the most economical economic, use, yeah, use of land. land. If you, that, I mean, these parks were developed in the you know, late 50s, 60s, mostly 60s and early 70s when the economics in this valley was very different. They probably sure. converted an orchard into a mobile home park. Um, we don't have that kind of land anymore and the economics have changed very much. Sure, and when I look at the, pro, uh, the mobile homes that are on our agenda item tonight and I add up the acreage, it's 313 and a half acres. And when I add up the units, it's 2292, which is approximately seven units to the acre. And I think by all modern planning uh, philosophies, that would say that density is probably pretty low. Uh, but at the same time, we have sing established single-family home neighborhoods that I feel are important to protect. Uh, but we're just basically making the policy decision that there will be no change and that change in the city will be in designated growth areas of the city, such as downtown and next to light rail stations. But we're definitely, you know, not having, not going to allow the property owners to develop their property, uh, and at the same time, uh, the single-family home neighborhoods are protected up until the state takes that power away, as they've been doing over the years. Uh, I'm going to support it, but I'm acknowledging the fact that we are making a policy decision to, you know, protect these 35,000 units at very low density because of the type of housing stock it is. We're restricting the private property owner what they can do, but it's because they believe that the policy is better and for someone again who supports uh, putting a bubble over single-family home neighborhoods and putting density uh, where it's meant to be then that seems to go fine for me but uh, uh, I think uh, you know to the first speaker this policy definitely does not push out 35,000 people it will allow 35,000 people to stay in place thank you And uh, before we have a vote on this, I just want to speak on this because this is an issue that's been on my radar for a long time. Before I was on the Planning Commission, I was on the Housing and Community Development Commission, which, among other things, um, has mobile home issues in its purview. And when this mobile home park land use designation was being discussed for creation, I voted in favor of it on that commission. Um, and I also want to point out, it was discussed in public comment that mobile home parks provide low-cost housing to seniors and some parks are designated specifically for seniors but some are not and 
they serve a wide breadth of vulnerable communities. So absolutely in support of this, um, as I have been in the past, to help preserve mobile home parks as they are uh, as a source of low-cost housing. So um, I see no other hands up, so we'll go to a vote. Uh, Vice Chair Ellis Wise? Yes. Commissioner Brosio? Yes. Commissioner Bickford and Cantrell are absent. Commissioner Casey? Yes. Commissioner Garcia? No. Commissioner Oliverio? Yes. Commissioner Rosario? Yes. Commissioner Cordillas? Yes. Commissioner Young? Yes. Myself, yes. I believe that is eight yes, one no, and two absences. Yes. Um, all right. So we'll move on the agenda. Um, we are now going to the general plan public hearing. Um, first off, we have item A, which is GP 22-005, 23-100, C23-101, C23-102, and C23-103, um, which concerns um, changing land use designations in the Willow Street Neighborhood Business District. Do we have a staff presentation for this? Yes, we do. Thank you, Chair and Commission. My name is Laura Maurer, and, and I am the Project Manager for the General Plan Amendment File Number GP22-005 and Conforming, conforming Rezoning File Numbers C23-100, C23-101, C23-102, and C23-103. To understand where this, uh, these proposed changes originated, I will provide a brief background to, for the amendment. In the last general plan four-year review, there was an included work item to explore policies to allow additional housing capacity in specific neighborhood business districts, including the Willow Street Neighborhood Business District. This work item was based on the housing crisis plan, work plan item number 31, which was to allow the integration of housing and underutilized business corridors with the intention of enhancing their commercial vitality. At a virtual community meeting held in April of 2021 the, with the Kai Willow community to discuss the proposed residential capacity increases, the community expressed overwhelming concerns regarding gentrification and the displacement of small businesses. Results of a poll conducted at the meeting identified that the majority of the attendees preferred limiting residential densities to 35 dwelling units per acre and a 35-foot maximum building height. On December 7th, 2021, Council approved no change to residential capacity within the Willow Street Neighborhood Business District as recommended by staff, and they directed staff to change the land use designation on appropriate parcels in the Willow Street Neighborhood Business District from the mixed-use commercial land use designation to the neighborhood community commercial land use designation to reduce small business displacement risk. Staff has included some additional changes within and adjacent to the neighborhood business district to better match existing uses and to address the stated desired land use form of the community. The project site contains 56 parcels shown in yellow on the map. 
located along or adjacent to Willow Street between Highway 87 and Mastic Street located in Council District 3. 51 of the 56 total parcels are in within this Willow Street Neighborhood Business District, otherwise known as Kaya Willow, and five parcels are adjacent to the Neighborhood Business District. The, the overall site is approximately 8.99 gross acres with a mix of commercial and residential uses. The, the adjacent uses to the sites are also include a mix of single and multifamily residences and other similar small, -like, small lot commercial uses. The subject site is not within any designated growth area. All 56 parcels um, proposed are currently mixed use commercial, which allows residential and commercial development with a maximum of 50 dwelling units per acre a and a minimum uh, 0.5 commercial FAR for mixed use development. The city initiated general plan amendment is proposing to change the land use designation of 35 parcels from mixed use commercial to neighborhood community commercial. These sites were chosen because they had existing commercial uses or commercial buildings that may currently be vacant. There are 17 parcels that are being proposed to be changed from mixed use commercial to mixed use neighborhood. These parcels have existing single or multifamily residences and they're adjacent to either other multifamily residences or commercial uses. Uh, two parcels are being recommended as changes from mixed use commercial to residential neighborhood. These are for parcels with existing single family residences that are adjacent to other single family residential areas. And lastly, there are two parcels that are um, uh, proposed to be changed from mixed use commercial to open space parkland and habitat. These two parcels are recommended because they are owned by the Santa Clara Valley Water District and are directly adjacent to the Guadalupe River. In addition, there are four conforming rezoning files, um, one for each um, proposed designation change. So there are five parcels that are being uh, recommended to be changed from um, their existing zoning district to the CP commercial pedestrian zoning district, 17 parcels to the MUN mixed use zone, uh, neighborhood zoning district, two parcels to the R18 single family resi residential zoning district, and two parcels to the open space zoning district. 30 of, the uh, 30 of the 56 parcels already have a conforming zoning district for their proposed land use designation and did not require rezonings. These rezonings are to satisfy SB 1333, which requires a conforming zoning district to the general plan land use designation. As described in the staff report, the project is mostly consistent with relevant policies in the general plan. The general plan is not supportive of the reduction or loss of employment land, which these land uses can do, but the changes in land use is intended to reduce the risk of displacement of, of existing thriving small businesses. The land use changes prioritize maintaining the existing vibrant districts over the higher employment capacity that could be possibly utilized in the future. These land use changes also better meet the building form desired by the community. A determination of consistency has been prepared for the project and is included as part of the permit. 
the determination of consistency concludes that the project is consistent with the envisioned San Jose 2040 general plan. Therefore, staff is recommending that the Planning Commission recommend to City Council to consider the determination of consistency and to approve the general plan amendment and for conforming rezonings. That concludes our presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Uh, we'll go to public comment. Do we have any speakers on this item? Take that as a no. Uh, we'll go to the commission. Would anyone like to speak on this item? Commissioner Oliverio. Apologies for speaking a lot this evening. Uh, so staff, this, uh, this goal here is to essentially preserve the existing district, that's business district, commercial district that's been there for decades, and to really lessen any uh, economic advantage of development by lowering densities, by again putting up some more uh, hoops and things of that matter, because uh, the, the, the concern of what I understand is a gentrification of a predominantly Latin American business district, and so let's, much like the mobile home, let's put restrictions in place to protect it. Yes, correct. And then when it comes to a 100% low-income housing project, can it circumvent what we're doing tonight and knock down a, a retail building and put something up? There are some general plan policies that do allow that in certain circumstances, but I think um, there's a lot of requirements. I think uh, policy H2.9 does allow on sites that are smaller than an acre and a half and meet a bunch of other requirements. Um, they can potentially put in 100% affordable housing. Got it. So hang on a second. So um, yes, there is a policy that allows you to put uh, uh, affordable housing and commercial if you meet criteria. I would say though that these properties probably for the most part don't meet that criteria. It's not the general plan that could allow affordable housing. It's recent state law changes, AB 2011, SB 6. Um, and you know, that's, that's a longer conversation, but essentially um, it, where that could happen is through state law changes. Got it. And of course someone could assemble properties to make it larger, et cetera. And uh, yeah, I get it. I just want to point out the intent and what we're trying to do here because not every business district gets this and we're making a policy choice that this one has a unique history. And I know it very well because my family and I grew up in an apartment on Willow Street and used to go to frequent all those businesses as a toddler and less frequently now, but still appreciate its uniqueness. So thank you. Commissioner Tordias. Thank you, Chair. I definitely understand, you know, the intent here of trying to discourage redevelopment, preserve these existing neighborhoods serving businesses. Uh, I think where I struggle is, you know, what Michael just alluded to, that, you know, state law is starting to preempt a lot of what the city is actually able to do here in terms of preventing future residential redevelopment. Uh, I understand that this process, you know, had huge support from the community and was also started before a lot of those laws have come into effect, uh, but I'm curious if these recent changes at the state level will kind of change the way that staff and the city approach this sort of policy moving forward. I'm not sure if Michael wants to take that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, <laughs> that's a really good question. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I think we, we don't always know what's coming with state law, we can guess. So we kind of move forward with creating a framework that we think uh, makes sense for our community and meets the needs of our community and 
for the direction of city council. And then lo and behold, something happens where the state does something that kind of um, puts a wrench in that. So, um, you know, I think uh, we are here today. This was something that started earlier, um, but there's now a loophole um, for, for projects that, that, that could go under state law. I'm not super familiar with either law. I mean, I am, but not to the detail to understand exactly how it would affect this corridor. That's a lot probably a follow-up conversation. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's hard because a lot of the work that we've done over the years is um, kind of being circumvented by state law. And there are things that we did that made sense at the time, but if we had known state law was coming, we wouldn't have done it. And it's not just because, well, what's the point? State law is gonna change it. There's unintended consequences that ha have happened because of us being forward thinking maybe for housing or other things that like, oops, gee whiz, the state just changed a law. And if we had known that, we wouldn't have been so forward thinking in what we were doing before. But, you know, you can't see the future. If we could, I think we would probably be doing, I don't know, I know we'll no comment, we'd be billionaires, I guess. But um, yeah, so um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yes, thank you. I think I'm just sensitive to the fact that, you know, this department is basically always busy year round so if we're going to be having staff spend cycles on policies that at the end of the day because of state law are not actually enforceable in certain circumstances that's kind of what I was getting to here but thank you for the very detailed answer I, I do just want to add though regarding state law and that is that we're not just as staff passively passively accepting what the state gives us we are actually very involved in working with many of the authors um, so uh, Martina and Jared who are sitting up there were very involved in crafting this legislation. So, you know, did it change a lot of things for us? It did, but there were concerns that, specific concerns that we had that we were able to work with the authors to address. And then also a lot of times the authors are not planners. They don't know how these things work and the, the effects are unintended on their part or they don't realize that what they're crafting is not gonna reach the objective that they want because they don't know how these things work. So we do work closely and we've been known once in a while to um, sponsor bills ourselves. Vice Chair Nelswise. I just wanted to thank the staff and the city planning office for taking the initiative to, to make this happen to really preserve, it means a lot to me and, and to the community there. I know a lot of it is Spanish speaking and um, I just say good job, thank you. York. That would be a motion to approve. <laughs> motion from Commissioner, no Vice Chair Ones Wise to approve the staff recommendation and I believe a second from Commissioner Tordillas. Okay. Um, so we don't have any other hands up, so we'll go to a vote on this. Vice Chair Ellis Wise? Yes. Commissioner Brosio? Yes. Commissioners Bigford and Cantrell are absent. Commissioner Casey? Yes. Commissioner Garcia? Yes. Commissioner Oliverio? Yes. Commissioner Rosario? Yes. Commissioner Tordillas? Yes. Commissioner Young? Yes. Myself, yes. That is nine yes, zero no, and two absences. That passes. Okay. Now we'll move on to item 8B, which is GP 23-005 and GPT 23-005. Um, and this is related to um, housing overlay districts in North San Jose. Uh, we'll go to the 
staff recommend or staff presentation on this. And I believe we're being passed out minor corrections on this item. Good evening, Planning Commission. Um, my name is Ruth Gueto. I'm a principal planner, and I'm here with Ed Schreiner, supervising planner, to present on the North San Jose Overlay Districts. So just some background. We are here um, as this item is related to the um, six-cycle housing element. Um, this is the city's official housing policy document. It's required by the state, um, and it is an eight-year-long uh, planning effort uh, that has, uh, it runs from 2023 to 2031. This is just a list of our housing goals, objectives, policies, and programs. Um, there were five overarching goals as part of our housing element um, document, uh, abundant and affordable housing stock, stability, opportunities to build wealth, um, healthy and thriving neighborhoods, along with other, um, other goals. This timeline um, provides some information on where we started um, earlier this, or the middle of this year in terms of the North San Jose work. So um, we came to the Planning Commission in May of 2023 with our housing element um, document. It was adopted by the City Council in June. We submitted it to the state soon after that and in August received a second round of comments from the state We've uh, since been working with the state and stakeholders to make some uh, revisions to the, pro to the plan. And um, we have posted a revised housing element document um, last night, this morning, uh, for the mandatory seven-day review period. And we expect to resubmit to the state um, soon after that, maybe I think it's about 10 days, for their next 60-day review and hopefully uh, certification of the document. On December 5th, we'll be at City Council with uh, the recommendation from Planning Commission tonight on these, um, this overlay and other rezonings um, that you will hear about tonight. And then um, we expect HCD to return uh, their determination or comments to us in January of next year. Just a quick reminder, this is our San Jose uh, RENA goals. These are the goals in terms of housing that we're planning for, for this uh, housing element update, 62,200 units across four income categories. The sites inventory currently has 438 sites with a capacity for roughly 4,800 units. And they're broken up above um, sites inventory and opportunity sites are the same thing. It's just interchangeably um, language that we use. 
the inventory methodology for the housing element, what we, just, just very high level, what we did to select and identify sites was identify sites that aligned with our major strategies for where we wanted to see growth. Um, these sites had to have uh, necessary zoning and general plan designations that allow for housing. An exception here is North San Jose, and which is why we're here tonight with the overlay. These sites have to have realistic uh, capacity and development, and uh, we also focused our efforts to identify sites in a manner that affirmatively furthered fair housing. Um, and that means um, identifying as many sites, as many lower income sites in um, what uh, the state calls under their TCAC and CTCAC maps um, outside of lower resource areas. And North San Jose is generally, I think, high and highest resource area of the city. And with that, I'll turn it over to Ed. Thanks, Ruth. Uh, Ed Schreiner, supervising planner uh, with the citywide planning team. Um, I guess uh, just give you a brief background on uh, what we're looking at tonight. Um, the concept of overlay districts are actually something that's somewhat new to us as far as kind of our, our zoning toolbox. Um, and essentially what an overlay district is, is uh, it's kind of a layer on top of the existing zoning that essentially allows potential additional uses on the site. So um, for both the general plan purposes and the zoning purposes, you know, the quote color on the map uh, does not change, but this overlay district is imposed on top of that, which would allow some additional uses. In this case, um, the, the possibility for residential uses. Um, in most cases, the proposal could develop under these residential uses or it could uh, develop under the base zoning, which in most cases is like an uh, industrial park or uh, maybe a transit employment center zoning district for these properties. Uh, there is an existing uh, overlay district that we, we do have in place called the Transit Employment Residential Overlay. Um, this was established in our general plan roughly a decade ago. However, from the zoning standpoint, we actually just implemented in the zoning uh, code roughly two years ago, I believe. Um, so. For this, what we're, purposes of what we're looking at tonight, we're proposing two additional uh, housing overlay districts. Um, the, the AHO, or Affordable Housing Overlay, um, in this case, this would require residential development at at least 75 dwelling units per acre, and also with the condition that 100% of the units developed would need to be affordable housing, uh, essentially available to people making 80% of area mean income or less, or sorry, area median income or less. Uh, the second housing overlay district we're proposing is what's called the mixed income housing overlay, or the MIHO, um, which is for residential development sites. Again, at the 75 plus dwelling units per acre. Uh, however, with this, the condition is only 25% of those units uh, must be affordable uh, at the same levels, while the remaining 75% of the units uh, can develop at kind of what we would consider market rate uh, housing. So in total, uh, for what we are proposing tonight, we're adding five new sites to the affordable housing overlay, 13 new sites to the mixed income housing overlay. We're shifting five sites from the existing transit employment residential overlay, which again would be a, a purely market rate housing overlay, to the affordable housing overlay. 
and we're additionally we're removing two other sites from uh, the existing tarot because those sites uh, have been developed as city parks and are really at this point no longer viable for housing. Um, as I mentioned, uh, it's, it's similar to the existing uh, transit employment residential overlay that we have. Again, uh, developers could continue to develop under the, the base zoning district. Um, and the two housing overlay districts have very similar rules uh, with, in, with to the tarot uh, with the addition of the affordable housing requirements. Um, I apologize that this uh, uh, map is not super easy to read, um, and I want to let you know what I handed out to you just before my presentation. Um, a couple of the APN numbers listed on this table were actually incorrect. Uh, however, the existing map is correct and all the other information was correct. Um, so if you just look at what it was handed out, uh, you might see APNs highlighted in bold, and those would actually be the correct APNs uh, corrected from the existing uh, exhibits you would have seen in your uh, staff report. Um, so the affordable housing overlay sites are concentrated uh, in the more northern part of uh, North San Jose, uh, centralized kind of around the light rail line on, on Tasman and North First, um, and in addition a few sites in uh, the Rincon area which are uh, currently I guess developed with kind of economical hotel uses. Uh, the mixed income housing overlay sites um, are spread kind of more uh, across uh, the length of, of North First Street, um, running from the north to the south here. And I'm happy to go back to any of these slides if anyone has questions about a particular property. Um, however, so these are the proposed development standards uh, for the housing overlay sites. Uh, these mirror uh, the existing development standards for our, our transit employment residential overlay. Um, so again, this is uh, proposing fairly high density residential, uh, but not, uh, you know, not dissimilar to some development uh, that's, that's in that area. Um, there, there's certainly been uh, developments along North First Street that are in uh, kind of the 70 to 80 dwelling units per acre rate. Um, and so in summary, uh, we're recommending that the Planning Commission recommend that the City Council uh, consider the termination of consist consistency with the City of San Jose 2023-2031 uh, Housing Element Update Supplemental EIR uh, in accordance with CEQA. Uh, there's all the uh, CEQA impacts were an analyzed in the, the Housing Elements Supplemental EIR. Um, adopt a resolution to add the affordable housing overlay and mixed income housing overlays to chapter five of the special use land use designations uh, and it make a clarifying edit to chapter five under transit employment center as well as adopting a resolution to amend the general plan land use map to include these overlay districts as well and finally adopt ordinances updating uh, title 20 of the municipal code uh, to establish the uh, affordable housing overlay district and mixed income housing overlay district in the zoning code as well as to change the zoning map uh, for the designated properties.
And this concludes the staff presentation. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, we'll go to public comment on this item. Um, we have one commenter on Zoom. All right. Jason, please unmute your device. There we go. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. <clears throat> okay. Thanks. Thanks for your time. I, I appreciate that uh, staff spent a lot of time, you know, contemplating how to best uh, accomplish its housing requirements. Um, and, you know, in this case, you know, we, we've been a long time significant property owner for three decades in partnership with San Jose on, on many, on many projects. You know, in this case, while you guys have been talking about this for a long time, we, we've had no, uh, there's been no outreach to us uh, on this. We got the notice on the 6th and here we are a week, just almost a week later. And, you know, five of the 10 sites that are, that are being proposed for this 100%, you know, uh, AHO are, are properties owned by, by our firm. And it, uh, you know, it feels almost like a, like a taking, you know, here. Um, and, and I think that I, I just believe a mix of housing types would inspire just a much more robust, vibrant, sustainable community. Um, and for us to have no notice, I, I would request that there be, there be a delay, a chance for us to sit down with the director of planning and to have some, some real talks about, about, uh, this this whole process and about what these uh, properties, uh, you know, what the best and highest use of these properties might might be, you know, 17 of the 30 acres of, you know, of this are, are, are ours, um, and it feels disproportionate. The we'd be okay with the with the miho the mixed income, um, but uh, for for half of these sites to be ours feels unfair um, and. I would respectfully request that we have substantive discussions where we can sit down and actually uh, talk about what's best for this neighborhood and um, what's best for uh, you know how how we can help in in accomplishing your guys' goals as well. Um, so yeah, thank uh, thank you very much. And uh, again, we'd be okay with the miho, but this is you know there's got to be some middle ground here. Thank you, Jason. Does that conclude public comment? Yes, it does. Okay. I just want to throw it back to staff, see if there's any response to what was raised in that comment. Um, I guess just, uh, I mean, quick response. Uh, the uh, There was also a community meeting uh, held for this uh, back in early October, and, and the same uh, notices would have been sent out at this point or at that point, so um, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, a week ago would have been the first time they would have received notice of this. Um, and I believe we, we staff has made, uh, I guess, numerous uh, attempts to contact uh, Piriariaga. I don't know, did you guys, I know Nancy. I don't yeah, my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, there's the Joe and OE Office of Economic Development reached out to the prop representative of the property owner and we didn't hear back, but that being said, uh, Jared did meet with the property owner, I think yesterday, or representative of the property owner. 
Yes, we, we did have a, a conversation with, with Jason uh, just last week about this, he called, and we, we had made some other outreach to um, the, the, the firm that, that, the pro that owns the, the properties previously. Um, we're happy to continue to have <coughs> some conversations with them prior to, to before council as well. Um, but th these were included in the, the housing element as well um, previously. Thank you. And just to clarify, I mean, the Jason, who was speaking in public comment, was speaking on behalf of a property owner. And if a property owner doesn't want to redevelop their property into affordable housing, it doesn't really matter whether it's designated, whether the, it has this overlay or not, correct? Correct. I mean, they, they could uh, continue to develop their property under the uh, IP-based zoning uh, for, the, for their site. Okay. Um, Thank you. I don't see any hands up. Do we have any discussion? Oh, okay, here we go. Uh, I have Commissioner Oliverio and then Commissioner Tordias. Thank you, Chair. I, but I think it's fair to say on the housing element, the city didn't contact every single property owner. There was not a discussion of every single, because it's just too difficult, right? I'm assuming, I mean, I know other cities do, but I don't think in case San Jose did. That's correct. We didn't contact every property owner. Got it. And well, then, I mean, they would have gotten an, a notice in the mail, right? For this one in particular, there were notices mailed to property owners and then the 500-foot radius for the community meeting and for this hearing. And then there were property owners specifically, including Apple and others that we did reach out to directly, and I believe this was one of them, but we didn't hear back. Got it. Right. I, I mean, sorry, Commissioner Oliverio, we were cognizant of the fact that we, um, you know, we agree with the property owner that um, obviously included in this uh, proposal is a significant number of sites uh, owned by owned by their uh, company. Um, again, we did make some attempts to reach out, um, and I guess just to kind of give some background, um, the the reason for their inclusions on this is that um, for affordable housing to get developed, they're basically they're they're scored um, on a number of things. I think you know Ruth touched on this early on, but but because of these sites, you know, close proximity to transit, uh, close proximity to other resources in uh, North San Jose, uh, they score very highly, um, and they would be very much more likely to, to be able to, in fact, it's possible that they may even be more likely to be able to develop, at least in current market conditions, under affordable housing, as opposed to market rate development, just because of the way uh, they would potentially score. Yeah, it would seem like the state forces cities look at your map, tell us based on we give you a variety of requirements and Ruth had a lot of acronyms, and go designate this this property for something else. And irregardless of the property owner likes it or not, cities may just paint them a different color and do something else. I mean that's fair enough to meet the state uh, guidelines until some city sues or until the residents pass a new law giving local control. Also, keep, keep in mind for the North San Jose area, Commissioner, that we had council direction. You know, there was, there's been a longstanding goal, as I'm sure you're aware, that there be, you know, 20% uh, of the units built in North San Jose be affordable, and previously the city hasn't delivered on, on that goal. And so our objective was to increase the number of affordable housing units, and so we looked at a target of 25% of the units. And so in looking at where to place this new overlay, where only 100% affordable could go, we targeted those sites where you know, 
affordable housing would be most competitive for receiving tax credits and where it would be best suited. Um, so that's why these properties we, we looked at and considered and moved them from the tarot to this new overlay and trying to further those goals from, from council. Right. And then the state, they don't care that San Jose had this North San Jose plan where we were sort of doing uh, stage gates of housing and jobs and we got all the housing, but we got, we didn't get the job criteria, the amount of jobs we wanted. And so that now we're just kind of lean on it a little bit more to push a little bit more housing in North San Jose. And we don't know when the next office building is going to be built in the city. Um, but inevitably these are just, again, this is the state imposing on the city. I mean, that, that seems like the overarching theme here. Well, I don't know that that's the case in North San Jose. So in North San Jose, we actually, uh, we're not changing the housing capacity. It's the, what the capacity in the general plan actually reduced it a bit through this process and moved to housing elsewhere. So it's, it's this, the housing element is working through the existing land use framework that we have. The change in North San Jose is there was not clarity in the existing North San Jose policy often of where housing specifically could go. So what we did is we actually refined, we, we, that policy was retired and we went back and really made it more clear where the housing would, could go. And then on top of that, the council has had a longstanding goal that 20% of the units in North San Jose be, afford, be affordable, but for a whole host of reasons that has not happened. We built the market rate, but not the affordable. And this was one tool in the toolbox that staff identified and council agreed with where they saw we could actually get to that 20% affordability. That's been all, I don't know, a 20 year plan in North San Jose <laughs> that hasn't happened. Um, so yeah, and I think the other thing to note, correct me if I'm wrong, I know that one of the property owners owned by Perry Ariaga is, um, was tarot market rate and is being proposed to change to an affordable, is that correct? But the other ones, correct me if I'm wrong, were just industrial park and so now we're adding this other opportunity on top that wasn't there before is that correct ed uh to some extent to i mean honestly more of their sites are there are some sites that were adding the a the affordable housing overlay that didn't exist before uh, but out of their the i think they have six total sites uh, i believe that four are are switching from the tarot to uh the affordable housing overlay okay well thank you i just think uh obviously you know we the council has provided guidance you know i think i've heard council member cohen say that at the end of the housing element or at some point in the future district four north san jose will have a, a incredible amount of housing i think he said will be the number one uh, low-income housing uh, units per district so in, and i then policies like these enable that to happen um i don't think uh on the, uh, if you're the financial accountant for the city, I, I don't think you like some of these policies because there's no tax revenue to pay for city employees' wages based on some of these decisions. But again, it's we're choosing another, we're offsetting that by having a higher priority to something else. So I, I get it. I just like to fully understand this. So thank you. Okay, so I have Commissioner Tordillos, then Young, then else Wise. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, staff, for the detailed uh, presentation and also the staff report. I'm definitely supportive of the spirit of this proposal, and I think you know these two new overlay districts are useful tools in helping to reach that goal of 20% affordable units in North San Jose. Uh, I just had a quick question in terms of the selection of the sites for both overlays and, uh, I guess, the eligibility to some extent. 
Uh, so as I was looking through the uh, most recent update to the site inventory, I noticed that it seems as if a couple of the sites, I guess one of the uh, mixed income overlay sites and four of the affordable uh, housing overlay sites seem to also meet the qualifications for the hero overlay uh, that we'll be talking about next in terms of having been identified in a previous cycle uh, of housing element planning uh, and being designated to accommodate lower income housing. Uh, so I guess I'm just curious about the interplay between these two different overlay districts and whether sites that are eligible for the hero district should have that designation instead. Thanks, uh, Commissioner, for the question. So um, the, the overlays that we're creating here in North San Jose um, are fulfilling the state law because these, these developments can be approved by right and have at least a minimum of 20% of affordable. Um, so and the hero also has those requirements that we'll talk about. So um, it's really either or, they don't need to have both, the, the AHO and the, the MIHO, the, the affordable housing overlay and the mixed income housing overlay are intended to comply with the same state law while also meeting the other criteria that we've set. So they don't, it doesn't need to have both, but so, does that make sense? I guess in my reading, it seemed like they had slightly different qualifications. I guess on one hand, it seems that for the hero sites, it's a 20% affordability threshold for the ministerial appro approvals, whereas I think the staff report says 25% threshold for the uh, sites in North San Jose. So that's one difference. And then the other one that I would just flag is obviously the uh, affordable housing overlay requires 100% affordable residential development, whereas it would seem that if those sites were eligible for the hero overlay, they would only be required to have 20% under state law. Uh, yeah, so I, th I think in, in this case where um, these require 25%, so we're, we're exceeding that 20% requirement uh, that, that's there. So that's, that's the, the difference. So um, the, the requirements are the ones that <clears throat> the sites that were we're rezoning, they have to be by right and have 20% uh, be affordable. So in this case, we're requiring 20, 25% affordable and have a by, by right process. So is it the case that if a developer came on one of these sites, say one in the AHO, and said that they wanted to build a project that was 20% affordable, they would not be able to use the ministerial process laid out in uh, the housing element law? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, we, we look at 20% as the minimum, but we, we have the authority to go higher than that. So that's what we're doing. In this case, it's 20 or it's 25, or in the case of, actually, I don't think we have an affordable housing overlay. Well, if there, if there is a case where there's an affordable housing overlay that, and we had, we're rezoning it, keep it, blah, 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 um, then that case would have to be 100% affordable to do a ministerial. Yeah, I guess I'm just a little bit confused about the interplay here between what we're doing and state law requirements, given that they seem to have pretty clear guidelines for how cities should respond to sites for lower income housing that have been identified in previous cycles. And it doesn't seem like this fits those yeah, in requirements. Our ACD, I mean, I think this is, this is, this has not been an issue. And then in our understanding of the law is that you, you're not precluded from raising the requirement you can't go below 20%. Okay, I guess a follow-up question here, since I don't think we're going to sort this out in this meeting, uh, is just a question that if it comes to pass later that we decide that it might make sense for some of these sites to move between these different zoning districts uh, whether, or overlay districts, whether it's the HERO or the AHO or the uh, mixed income, what is the process for actually moving these sites? 
I guess it would be a, a, another general plan amendment and rezoning. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Young and then Ornell Swise. Yeah, thank you, Chair. Actually, I have a question for our staff attorney. Um, this previous speaker used the term taking. That's the second time at, that, at this meeting that's been used. Um, I wonder if you could explain to the commissioners what, what he's referring to. Sure, I think very briefly, uh, a constitutional taking is when you deprive a property owner of the economic benefit of the use of their land. Uh, so if a property owner, for example, says that the city's regulations are so onerous that they can no longer benefit economically from their use of the land, then that would constitute potentially a taking. Um, in the context of the AHO and the MIHO, uh, the city is not taking away the base zoning that already exists, and so the city is not depriving any property owners of the ability to develop their land. Uh, it is through the overlay simply allowing them an additional option to develop affordable housing or mixed income housing. Okay, great, thank you. So uh, just to confirm, you don't see this item as constituting a taking? No. Okay, great, thank you. Vice Chair on Wise. I have a question in regards to the affordable housing overlay. Who came up with that name? Was it the state or was it staff or was it just wondering? Yeah, I, I think that was just a, a staff determination. Um, I think that's kind of the designation we used uh, roughly a year ago when we uh, kind of were evaluating uh, ways to look at uh, housing in uh, North San Jose with the retirement of the, of the North San Jose Area Development Policy. There's no specific state regulation saying we had to call it that. My only concern is that sometimes when people think of affordable housing, unfortunately there could be stereotypes, right? I mean, I was just thinking, why not call it like workforce housing and mixed workforce housing? I mean, just something that has just a little bit more of a positive connotation um, for some people that might have a negative, you know, just something I was thinking about. I don't see any further hands up. Do we have a motion on this item? I move that we approve the staff recommendation. Second. All right, we have a motion to approve the staff recommendation from Commissioner Young and a second from Commissioner Rosario. Uh, Commissioner Oliverio, I see you have your hand up. Could the motion contain the suggestion that staff, you know, meet again with this property owner? I had a situation when I was on city council where the housing department was rezoning someone's land and actually there was no notification and it was a whole incident at city council. And um, I would just think that there's obviously a disconnect between the public speaker and your meeting, but just to just tackle that again, and I know Nancy Klein has Perry Arriaga on her speed dial for all the economic development stuff, so the fact that they haven't talked is a little bit confusing, but I just think it would be, that would avoid uh, you know, anything at the city council meeting. Is uh, that okay if the maker of the motion? Yeah, Commissioner Young, is that friendly? I'm actually not in favor of that. I think the staff has talked quite a bit about how they reached out, so I, I don't think that would be appropriate. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Oliverio, do you wanna try to amend the motion? 
I know I'm just going to vote okay. against it. I'm not going to go to make a substitute motion. I think it's just simply kindness when you have someone that's approached in the public forum saying there's a disconnect. This is a substantial property owner. It's a substantial property owner that the city has wanted them to do much more in San Jose. And I think it's just good for relations with a significant. This isn't just a resident saying, I don't like the project. There's a shadow at 2 p.m. This is a significant property owner that has a, you know, there's a major taxpayer, major player in our city. That's all. Thank you. Uh, and I just want to remind the commission, I, I haven't brought this up for previous items because I didn't think it was necessary, but um, for general plan items, we need to have a majority of the body, not a majority of those in attendance to pass them. So we have nine folks here tonight. So rather than five, we would need six votes, a majority of the overall commission. Um, but okay, so we'll go to the vote on this item. Uh, Vice Chair Ornelas Wise. Oh, sorry, do you wanna say something, Aaron? If I may, uh, if the maker of the motion is not willing to accept the, an amendment to the motion, I, I think the commission could also just ask staff if they are willing to continue to meet with the property owner and engage in discussion, which I believe uh, planning staff. Yeah, yeah I was just gonna add, I, I think we already, I, I already intended to, to reach out to uh, the, the Jason at, at Piriariaga in between the, the, the meetings. Yeah, since everyone's looking at me, as long as when the staff writes their rec you know, what happened at the planning commission meeting that my comments are in there, sometimes they're not and they're significant. So as long as that's included, I'm happy and doesn't have to be in the motion. Thank you. Okay. Vice Chair on Ellis Wise. Oh, sorry. It's sure. <laughs> Go ahead, Michael. Um, I, my computer is on the, on the fritz here. So who, can you tell me who uh, the first and the second? Yeah, of course. Uh, this is a motion from Commissioner Young, and it was seconded by Commissioner Rosario. Thank you. Sure. Do you need anything else before we vote? No, I'm good. Okay. Vice Chair Ellis Wise? Yes. Commissioner Barosio? Yes. Commissioners Bigford and Cantrell are absent. Commissioner Casey? Yes. Commissioner Garcia? No. Commissioner Oliverio? Yes. Commissioner Rosario? Yes. Commissioner Tordios? Yes. Commissioner Young? Yes. And myself, yes. I believe that is eight yes, one no, and two absences, so this passes. All right, we have one more item under the general plan public hearing. This is GPT 23-007, PP 23-006, and C23-108, which I'll just say in summary is regarding the housing element residential overlay district. And I imagine we have a staff presentation for this. Yes, thank you, Chair. Sure. Um, Kenneth Cho, um, planner with the planning division here. Um, and tonight we're gonna go, go over the housing element residential overlay district, um, HERO for short. Government section code 65583.2 requires cities to rezone sites that were not developed in the fifth cycle housing element and are being included um, in the six cycle housing element to accommodate lower income units. The rezoning will allow residential use by right for housing developments with 20% or more units affordable to lower income households, which is 80% um, area medium income or less. In addition, sites must allow a density of at least 30 dwelling units per acre. Therefore, the city is proposing to amend chapter 20.65 of the municipal code to establish the housing re element residential overlay district. 
It is, it is important to note that the zoning overlay will allow properties to continue to develop under the base zoning district, which also allows for housing. The development standards, such as setback, height, etc., will follow the underlying zoning district. There is a total of seven sites identified citywide that will have the hero overlay, um, hero zoning district. This slide shows seven sites identified for the hero um, zoning district. Of the seven sites, one has the downtown general plan designation, two has the neighborhood community commercial general plan land use designation, one has the transit residential general plan land use designation, and three has the urban village general plan land use designation. All of these sites currently allow housing either through the existing land use designation or through a general plan policy. These sites account for approximately 787 units of the city's low-income RENA goals. We are also incorporating changes and in application requirements within Chapter 20.195, Ministerial Approvals, to establish a local ministerial approval process. This will help facilitate housing development projects that meet certain criteria outlined in the overlay district to move forward with a streamlined approval process. This ministerial approval will fulfill the by right requirement as required by state law. To ensure the protection of environmentally sensitive areas, we have included site criteria, including but not limited to anti-demolition requirements for historic structures and exclude sites in wetlands, fire hazards, fire hazard zones, hazardous waste sites, etc. In addition, we will be amending chapter, um, the chapter to allow a streamlined ministerial approval process for agricultural employee housing in accordance with Health and Safety Code section 17021.8. Um, the original project scope included all properties that were not developed in the previous housing element fifth cycle and are identified in the current housing element, sixth cycle. A general plan tax amendment was initiated due to the minimum density requirement of 30 dwelling units per acre. However, upon further review of state law requirement, only sites identified to accommodate lower income housing are required to be rezoned to the new HERO zoning district. All the low income housing sites identified already allow a density of 30 dwelling units per acre end up. Therefore, the general plan text amendment is neither needed or proposed, and staff is um, requesting that it be dropped. Um, staff recommends that the planning commission recommends that the city council take all of the following actions. Drop the um, general plan text amendment resolution and consider the determination of consistency with the city of San Jose 2023 to 2031 housing element updated um, update supplemental environmental e impact report in accordance with CEQA, approve the ordinances amending chapter 20.65 for the overlay districts um, to include the hero housing element residential overlay district, um, amend the zoning district map to include the hero overlay, and approve the an ordinance amending chapter 20.195 um, ministerial approvals to establish the local ministerial approvals for housing development, receiving entitlement under the zoning overlay district, and to allow a streamlined ministerial approval process um, for farm worker housing. 
this concludes staff, staff's presentation and staff is available for questions. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and, and just want to make a note, I don't want to call anybody out, but um, there were some whispered side conversations at the beginning of the presentation and the acoustics in this chamber are incredible. So even a whisper carries pretty well. So if you need to have an extended private conversation, please step out into the hall. Uh, we'll go to public comment on this item. I have a card for an Edward McDonald, but I don't believe he's still here. Uh, do we have anybody on Zoom who wants to speak on this item? Seems like we don't. Um, we don't have any hands at this time. Thank you very much. Um, all right, so we'll turn this over to the commission. Commissioner Tordillos. Thank you, Chair. Um, similar question to the previous item that we we're tackling. I have the site's inventory, uh, the most recent draft open here, and it seems that there are you know, at least six additional sites that are marked as being designated to accommodate lower income RENA and are also marked as having been identified in a previous cycle. Uh, so I guess I'm just curious about the way that we settled on these seven and uh, any potential you know, irregularities there. And then as with my previous question, the process to add additional sites to this hero overlay, should we find that anything was missed in the initial kind of process? Um, so, I mean, we're happy to look at those sites. I mean, I think the intention was is that if it's designated for lower income that they, that, you know, and it was in the last cycle, that it needs to be, you know, it needs to have this overlay. So if, you know, we would need to consider those sites if those were not in appropriately. But, you know, the intention is that we were supposed to capture all the, the sites that were designated for lower income to be in this overlay. Um, so it's it's a new zoning district, so, uh, or a new overlay. So, you know, sites could be, um, I don't know, considered for addition to the overlay, but I mean, it, it is pretty specific to, you know, complying with the, the housing element law. So um, I, I don't know how many we would consider adding in the future other than we're supposed to be capturing everything that's in there. So, um, I mean, we, we would want to take a look at those, what you're suggesting, um, but the intention was to, to capture all that are lower income. So there wasn't any, if there's some left out, it wasn't, it wasn't intentional like that yet, so. Thank you. Uh, and then I guess one final question here is just, what is the timeline for when these rezonings have to happen? I think it might be three years from the start of the planning period in terms of identifying these previously identified low-income sites. Is that uh, your understanding? These sites need to be rezoned by January 31st of next year. So it's one year from the statutory deadline. So um, yes, it needs to be. That's why we're here now and going to council is that these sites need to be re either have rezoned or have overlay, which is the equivalent of rezoned um, by, by that time. So thank you. Don't see any other hands up. Do we have a motion? <laughs> Go ahead, Commissioner Oliver. Thank you, Chair. Just to understand, is the ministerial approval discretionary on our part of the city, or we have to? It's it's non discretionary. As long as they meet the standards that we've set, then there there's no it's a, it, it's a it, ministerial process. It's not discretionary. Right, but uh, so prior to this, they would go through a normal entitlement process with public hearing. That's correct, and, and and the way that these sites are set up too, if they do not include the 20% affordable, then they would go through the normal discretionary process. So if they 
are including the 20% units affordable, then they, they um, can achieve the, the buy right ministerial process. So that's the way this is structured with the overlay. Right, so you're saying, but we as a city are giving the carrot of you will have a ministerial policy uh, option versus the state. The state requires that there are a buy right approval for properties that meet this requirement. That are being reused in this cycle, uh, in the cycle to, to satisfy the requirement for, for lower income properties. I just have a, a question based on what Tordillo's question on North San Jose going back to that. I, I don't know, maybe I didn't understand your question, but I think what I heard you say is that there are sites in North San Jose that are having an affordable housing overlay that have a higher um, minimum affordability requirement than the HERO, which is 20%. But I think one thing is the HERO is, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys, Jared, and, and but the HERO is when you wanna reuse an affordable site that you identified in the fifth cycle previous housing element and you wanna carry it over, then you apply what we're calling the HERO that says if you have 20, if you, you have to provide, if you do 20% affordability, you can do a ministerial process. In North San Jose, however, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, the affordable sites that we identified were not affordable sites in the fifth cycle housing element. So I believe, that's my understanding. We do have sites dedicated to lower income housing in, in North San Jose that were in the previous cycle, so they, they need to have- Oh, they a, need to have- They need to have a buy right, and they need to have the 20% affordable. So, but, so what we're saying is that okay. affordable housing overlay is equivalent to the HERO in that it's satisfying the buy right approval process, and we're having a 25% minimum rather than a 20% minimum. So we're exceeding the, what the state is, is saying. Yeah, my fundamental question there was whether state law gave property owners or developers a right to ministerial approval for a project that was, say, 80% market rate and 20% affordable, and that we were therefore not complying with state law by increasing the threshold. That was the, you know, gist of my question. The, the state law doesn't give them the buy right. We have to provide that through this, this zoning action. So we're, we're required to complete the, the zoning overlay that gives them the buy right process. So but we're, so we're saying that this affordable housing overlay in North San Jose is, is satisfying the requirements under that, that law. Yeah. Understood, thank you. I guess rephrasing, I would wonder whether we are then allowed to count those sites towards our lower income RENA if we are setting standards that are higher than what are laid out in uh, housing element law at the state level. And just since I think I'm still here, uh, I, I'm just uncomfortable when we have discretionary elimination of the public process. I mean, I think there's, it's a good for neighbors to be involved in the developments that are occurring around them uh, within the confines of state law and, and city zoning, uh, but a ministerial, if you're telling me I have the option of not having ministerial, uh, I don't think I like that. I think I'd prefer the public hearing opportunity, whether it's a director's hearing, planning commission, city council. So that's just my thoughts. Am, am I off base? Sorry, just, just to be clear, we, we are required to provide a buy right approval process for these sites since we're using them in the housing element for lower income. So we don't have an option of, of providing a discretionary path. Right, so you're yeah. telling me it's the state of California telling the city of San Jose Correct. this is a ministerial process that removes the public hearing. Correct. Got it. Yeah. Yet again, another reason to support local control. Okay, thank you. Okay. Um, don't see any other hands up. Uh, do we have a motion? Motion to approve the staff recommendation. 
got a motion from Commissioner Tordillos to approve the staff recommendation. Do we have a second? I second. Second from Vice Chair Nellis Wise. If there's no further discussion, we will vote. Vice Chair Nellis Wise? Yes. Commissioner Brosio? Yes. Commissioners Bigford and Cantrell are absent. Commissioner Casey? Yes. Commissioner Garcia? Yes. Commissioner Oliverio? Yes. Commissioner Rosario? Yes. Commissioner Tordios? Yes. Commissioner Young? Yes. Myself, yes. That is nine yes, zero no, and two absences, so that passes. All right, moving on to the final parts of the agenda. We will continue the general plan hearing for the 2023 cycle four to our December 6th meeting. Um, do we have any referrals from city council, boards, commissions, or other agencies? None. Okay, on to good and welfare. Do we have a report from city council? I do not. Robert, is there anything? No, okay. Um, I assume nothing for subcommittee formation, reports, or outstanding business, or for commission calendar and study sessions. Except one on Friday. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, reminder to everyone, we have our retreat uh, at like this Friday, the 17th. Um, yeah, any, the staff want to say anything about that? No? Okay. All right, uh, then nothing for the public record either, I assume. All right, we'll go ahead and adjourn. Thank you, everybody. I haven't had this one long in a while, so appreciate your time.